Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Man, that's good. Y'all are good. Y'all are awake already? That 830 crowd sometimes, not so much. Um, Don't tell them I said that, though. All right, well, we've been... um, We started with the resurrection on Easter, and then last week we talked about um, some of the things that happened right afterwards about Jesus appearing to um, the the disciples and to others. And then this week we're going to talk about um, after Jesus' ascension and the birth of the church. And Vance Havner said, we're not going to move this world by criticism of it or conformity to it but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. And the church begins in a um, dramatic fashion, and it happened on Jesus was around and appeared to people and then ascended back into heaven on the 40th day, and then 10 days later, Pentecost happens. And we really know a lot more about these days because they're based on uh, Jewish festivals, and there were very specific things about uh, the cycles of the moon and when these festivals were to happen. And Pentecost, we know, that's, that was the festival. It was a Jewish festival of the harvest when they began to bring in the early grain harvest. is the first fruits. And um, it's also called the Festival of Weeks. And the reason for that is, is that the festival happens on the, after the Passover, it begins on, you're supposed to count seven Sabbaths, seven weeks plus one day. And so it ends up on the 50th day. And that's literally what Pentecost means. Penta means 50. And so we know more about those days. I hate to break the news to you, but we don't really know that Jesus was born on December 25th. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but there's some that actually believe it happened in May or June. So if you want to have Christmas in May or June, go right ahead. It's cool with me. But um, we know, you know, according to the calendar where these other days uh, fell. And that's, that's a uh, a neat thing. And Pentecost, um, all of them came together and they're waiting on uh, what Jesus had promised them. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. And so today we're going to talk about what happened on that day. You know, we're not going to get into a whole lot about the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, that will that'll, that'll do some other time. But today we're going to talk about really the birth of the church. And um, I want to begin in Acts chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 5, and so if you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting because Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. And the reason why it's so significant is because When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, he comes in a new way. And the Holy Spirit had always been, it's one of the 
uh, the Trinity. You know, we, we believe there is uh, God in three persons. Uh, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's all through the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So God's Spirit's always been uh, active. He's always been with God. He's there at the creation. And you see, you know, God's Spirit hovers over the surface of the waters. And God has also, and the Holy Spirit has also interacted with man. It says in Judges 6, 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call, as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. So here's one of the differences. It says the Spirit clothed Gideon with power. And so that is an outer manifestation of the Spirit of God. The Spirit comes and gives him what he needs, but it's, it's going to be different. And so Jesus even tells the disciples, and this is one of the things that if I had been there, I would have probably struggled to understand. And that is when Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I leave so the, the advocate can come, the great counselor, the Holy Spirit, so that the Spirit can come. And I'd have been like, uh, Jesus, I'd just rather have you right here where I could ask you a question or whatever else. I mean, I'd have had a hard time understanding that. But he tells them it's better for you that I go. And that would have been hard to grasp. But in John 14, 16 through 17, he begins to tell and to give them a, a picture of why it's going to be different. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. That's the difference, and that's what God's promised after Jesus comes, is before the Holy Spirit is with us, he moves around us, there are times that he gave people in the Old Testament power and courage and what they needed in the moment. But here's the difference. After Jesus' resurrection and after the Holy Spirit comes, he's now not just going to be around us. He's going to be in us. And the reason that he couldn't before is because of our sin. That caused separation between God and man. And so God would come and, and dwell in the temple. His presence would come into the temple of God but God's people had to stand at a distance because of their sin and because the atonement had not been made in full through Jesus. Now, once Jesus comes and dies on the cross and is resurrected, now when God looks at us, after you declare through faith, you believe in faith, all the things of the gospel, you believe that you know, your sins are forgiven, you ask Jesus for forgiveness, ask God for forgiveness, you believe the elements of the gospel, now th those barriers are removed because now when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin, he sees someone who is righteous. The Bible says he has declared us righteous, okay? And what that means is that now he says your penalty's been paid through Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for you, and so now you don't owe anything. See, our sin, when we sin, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But when we're in Jesus, when we have a relationship with him, now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect life in place of ours. And so now the Holy Spirit can come into the disciples. He's been among them, 
And so they, they would reckon, he said, you'll know him, but now he's going to be in you. And that is a huge advantage because of all the things the Spirit does. The Spirit guides in truth. The Spirit gives words that we would not have necessarily had on our own. And so here's what we're going to do. And I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit, later on it talks about being filled with the Spirit, even after you have the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. But the Spirit doesn't come in and control you like a puppet, you know, like, you know, whatever. It, it, it guides you. It teaches you. It gives you what you need. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. So now the Spirit is going to come in a new way. And so all of the believers are meeting together, it says, in Acts 2, 1 through 4. All the believers, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You know, before I go any further, one of the things that I, that I love about the story of Pentecost is recognizing how today we are repeating what was given and what was done 2,000 years ago. And you're going to see through Pentecost that it, 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 it follows the same form. The people of God are praising God. Other people hear and they come too. And then there's a message. There's a sermon. There's the, the word of God is preached by Peter. And then you know what happens at the end? People get saved and baptized. And in the early service, we baptized five or six people. And in the, in the last service, we're going to baptize people too. And that, to me, that is a... It's a testimony. You know, you, you think about it, it's, it's way different, I get it. Um, you know, we, we sit on comfortable chairs. They probably didn't. We have lights, sound systems, things like that. But the form of it is exactly the same as it was 2,000 years ago. God's people come together. They're trying to figure out life. They're trying to figure out what to do. They praise God. They, they get into the Word of God. And then there's an invitation and people get saved and then when, when it's appropriate, people are baptized. And that's the thing about truth. Truth is timeless. You know, you can say something right now that might, ha might be accurate in the moment, but that doesn't mean that it's true. You know, you might say, oh, well, this is the most popular app in the world. And it might be accurate in that moment, but it's not a truth. That, it won't be true a year from now. It may not be true a month from now. I mean, things change. But real truth you can speak it at any time, in any place, and it's always true. So here's the deal. You could go all across the world. You could go to Africa. You could go to Europe. You could go to Antarctica. You could go to Russia. And the, the, the truth of God's word is true for them just as it is for us. If I could speak Russian and Antarctica, whatever they speak there, whatever, I could go and preach to them the same message I'm preaching today, and it's still true. And here's the, di the deal. If I'm preaching something and it's only true here in our country, then it's not really truth. It might be accurate, but it's not a truth that you can build a life upon or a relationship, a future. It's not a foundation. Foundational truth is always true. You could go preach the same thing to Antarctica. Now, granted, baptism might be a little more challenging in Antarctica than it would be in the jungles or whatever, but it's still the same truth. And so here's the deal. If you, when you hear somebody preaching and they're preaching out of the Bible, if you can't think, well, you know what, if I, I couldn't go preach this here or I couldn't go preach that there, then ask, is it really true? Because truth is truth and it doesn't change. And the truth of the gospel was the same, is the same today 
as it was 2,000 years ago. And here's the best part. It has the same power today that it had 2,000 years ago. The same power to change lives. The same power to pierce hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's the same. It's true, and it lasts forever. And it will be true if Jesus doesn't come back a thousand years from now. It'll always be true. And that's one of the comforts that I, that I see in this, in this, this gospel story of, the, of Pentecost. So they're all gathered together, meeting in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, it doesn't say there was wind, just sound like a wind. And so it comes to them. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So they, the, the Spirit comes down, and there's, there's an outward sign. There's things, there's fire. And, and it, it comes and sets, sets upon each of them. And they began to speak in other languages. And here's what that does. Here's what part of the, what the Spirit does. And this is why this is the moment when the church is born. This is the birth of the church. Jesus had talked about it. I'm going to build my church. Well, this is the beginning of it right here. Why is it the beginning of it? I mean, they already believed Jesus. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And that happened in that moment. That was the moment where they were baptized by the spirit into one body. That was the moment where they all shared the same spirit. And from this point forward in Scripture, now up until this point, you know, John would baptize, and it was for the repentance of sins. And at this point forward, the word baptize can either be a literal meaning, as in someone was immersed, or it can be a figurative meaning in that they were baptized in the Spirit. They became one with the church. They became uh, one in the Spirit as, as part of the body of Christ. And so from this point on, as you read, you have to look in context to see, is it talking about someone was literally baptized or that they were baptized into the Spirit, by the Spirit? And so that's a different thing. It can be, it's the same thing. A physical baptism is a picture of all those things. You know, it's a picture of several things. You go into the water, that's a picture of dying with Christ. Come out, it's a picture of of being born again, of a new life in Christ. And water is also uh, symbolic of the Spirit. You know, you come up and um, uh, you have a new life. You've been baptized. You're, you're identifying with the church, with other believers. And now you're one with them. Okay, so you get that. And that comes through what the Spirit does for us is it baptizes us into one body. Now, you'll hear people at different times, they'll say, well, I got saved here, but I got baptized by the Spirit. I didn't get the Spirit until later on. And there's a problem with that. Romans 8, 9 through 11. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Okay? So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't have Jesus. So you cannot be saved and then later on get the Holy Spirit. 
Now that happened to some that had only heard the gospel through John the Baptist. Later on, they were told the whole gospel and received the Holy Spirit as they were saved. And the Gentiles at this point were not given the Holy Spirit because the gospel had not been opened to them yet. But it's clear that if you have Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit at the same time. There is no separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happens at the moment of salvation. As a matter of fact, it happens later on. When, when God tells Peter, and the gospel was always meant for the Gentiles, but it was meant for the Jews to be the evangelists. They were the ones who were going to go and begin the work of the church, spreading that to the world. And so Peter, God tells him in a vision, hey, go to this home. Somebody's fixing to come knock on your door. And immediately the door knocked. And somebody says, hey, Cornelius wants you to come to his house. And so God had already told him. And so he was like, cool, I've been waiting for you to get here. So he follows him there. And some others went with him, and he tells the story of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 10, verses 44, he begins to tell them the truth of the gospel. And even as Peter was saying these things, as he was, there's a whole list of his message to the Gentiles. And when he tells that, and they believe in faith what he's telling them, it says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, they received the Holy Spirit when they believed, when they heard the message, and then they were physically baptized. Okay? Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. In the early days of the church, the Holy Spirit was a sign of several things. It was a sign that this was a movement of God. It was a sign because um, when the, the disciples began to, to preach, they, everyone heard it in their own language. And so if you were um, you know, from a different place or different dialect, that's what uh, the word means, tongues, that's translated as tongues, is means dialect. So even, you know, in China, there are two versions of the Chinese language. There's Mandarin and there's Cantonese. And so that each, if you were from someplace where they spoke Mandarin, you would have heard it in Mandarin. If you were from someplace where they spoke Cantonese, you would have heard it in your language. So that was the miracle of tongues. It was a sign not only that these are God's people and that the Spirit of God is in them, but it was also a sign that the gospel was for all people. And from that point on, even though in the modern day church, there are those who believe that tongues is something that is different from that in the new Testament, it never says that it is anything other than what it was here at the beginning. And that is that when people heard it was in a known language. Now, not everyone would necessarily hear that language, but at that point, they're all hearing from different believers, them praising God in their own language. Now, there are people that would disagree with me about this. I believe that tongues was a sign gift to show God's spirit coming upon the church, to show that the gospel was for everyone, and that tongues, I believe, has ceased. But I'm not going to argue with some pe people that say, no, we believe it still goes on because it is in the scripture. And that's my interpretation. That's my belief. There's nowhere in scripture where it says what I'm telling you. 
I'm just telling you that's what I believe. And so if somebody believes, yeah, we still speak in tongues, hey, cool, we can be friends, it's all good. Um, but then there's other places where it talks about the order in the church and how it's supposed to work if someone does. And so when one thing I can tell you clearly is if you go to some place and they're all speaking in tongues, that is in, in contradiction to what the Word of God says about how tongues are to be utilized. And so anybody that tries to tell you you have to have, if you don't have tongues, you're not saved, that's not scriptural either. Because tongues is a spiritual gift. Not everybody gets every spiritual gift. And not only that, but Paul says it's the least of all spiritual gifts. So that's my personal belief. Um, I don't uh, participate in that in my private life or in public life. And we don't here at our church either. Um, but that doesn't mean that if you disagree with my, our stance on that, that we can't have fellowship and be friends and we can discuss it or whatever. But that's what I believe. Now, one thing I will say is nowhere in Scripture does it say that tongues is some special language all its own that no one else can understand. It's, it's talking about people could hear a known language. So that's another thing, you know, along with the... Uh, oh, one thing I forgot to tell you all. This is kind of important. Because I was, I was telling you things that, you know, kind of side. I'm chasing a couple of rabbit trails today on purpose. The other one is, if you've ever wondered why our church meets on Sundays instead of Saturdays, which the Old Testament Sabbath was, it's because of two things. Number one, Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, on the first day of the week. The Sabbath is the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. Although we kind of treat it as the weekend, it's actually the week beginning. And the second thing is that the birth of the church and the first worship service as the church also happened on Monday. Because if you remember, you counted 49 Sabbaths plus one day. So because the birth of the church and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus were on Sunday, that's why we worship on Sunday. So anybody ever asks you, now you know the answer to that question. And that's for free. You don't have to put anything extra in the plate. All right. So now the second part is you receive the spirit when you believe. That happens, you know, it, it tells us clearly if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. And it also gives examples of when people receive the Spirit. After that, there was a sign so the Jews would be able to see that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well. Now, what does the Spirit do? I'm going to just talk about this one major thing, and that is the Spirit brings power to bear witness to Christ. That is one of the great purposes of the Spirit in us, even as it was in the believers there. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his, his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power to witness and to bear witness to Jesus. Now, as believers, we ought to, know, we ought to want to know as much about the Word as we can. But one of the things that I, I can tell you, and any, anybody that has, uh, has tried to witness or to talk to people, is that the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need when you need them. And it, Jesus promised that to his followers. He said, look, when they drag you into court because you've been following me, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to give it to you when you need it, in that moment. And there have been a lot of situations as a pastor that I've had to walk into that I had no clue what to say. And so many times 
God would give me something to say and I would say it. And there were times even where I was like, what are you doing, man? That was dumb. And you know what? People would come back to me later and say, you know what? That is exactly what I needed to hear right then. And that wasn't me. I'm not smart enough for that. That was God's spirit giving me what I needed to speak in that moment. Now, I wasn't like helpless, like it was just coming out of my mouth and, well, I don't, did I even say that? I mean, I knew you're conscious. It's not that the spirit forces you or takes over, but when you allow the spirit, you, you're filled with the spirit in that moment, you're relying on it. The words will come as you need them. You know, a verse maybe you hadn't thought about since you were a child, but you memorized as a kid pops into your head. That's the Holy Spirit giving you the words that you need. That's, that's how the Spirit operates, is so that we may bear witness. And so there's so many times that you, you get an opportunity. Somebody says, hey, I want to talk to you. Something's going on in my life. And you're like, dude, I don't know what to say. Rely on the Holy Spirit. There are tons of things I've walked into that I didn't know what to say. You know, believe it or not, there's not a seminary class that says, here's what you say in every difficult situation. It's just not there. I wish there was. Oh, I remember this. this is lesson 17. Boom, here's what I say. It don't work like that. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the beauty of God dwelling within you now. He never leaves. He's always there when you need him. Now, the Bible talks later on about being filled with the Spirit. That's something we should continually do. And that means a constant reliance upon the Spirit. It's like, God, I don't, I don't know what to say or do. I need, I need you to speak through me. I need you to give me the words to say. It's a reliance upon the Spirit. It's the emptying out of ourselves and allowing God to, to move and to work in us and through us. We should be continually filled by the Spirit. In Acts 2, 5 through 12, and we're going back to Pentecost now, it says, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained, exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and then there's a whole bunch of nations, which dry my mouth out to say them all, Libyan and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. You know, God's Spirit speaks. You know, I've had people come to me and, and tell me, hey, you remember a few weeks ago when you said this in a message? And there were times people come and say that to me, and I would go, I've never said that in my entire life. I've never even thought that. I don't know where, how did you get that out of that message? But I came to realize over time that God speaks as he chooses. And so now instead of saying, well, thanks, I'm, I'm glad. I, I just say, well, you know what? I'm glad God spoke to you because the Holy Spirit speaks. And he uses, he can use what we say in the hearts of those that hear however he wants that's part of the beauty of it. And, and the good thing here is these people are coming and now they're open. And God will allow you to speak in the language in a way that people can understand. That's what, he's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us power to bear witness. 
Power to bear witness. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 15. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. So there's a twofold part of the work of the Spirit. Is Number one, it, get, it can give you the words to speak to another believer, to someone else. But the Spirit also helps us believers to understand God's Word and to understand what God is saying to us. And so that's, that's the twofold part of the Spirit. See, when you read the Word of God, you're reading with the Spirit of God in you. And part of the Spirit's job is to guide you in all truth. You're not just reading a book. You're reading God's Word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is being filtered through the Holy Spirit. And so there are times when, you can be, when God can speak to you through the Word because you have the Spirit and make alive parts of the Word of God because that's what He does. That's how He speaks. You know, that's the, the amazing thing about God's Word is you could read this entire Bible, if it were possible, every single day for the rest of your life and never get to the end of what God wants to say to you through it. You know, I, I, it's my personal habit to try and read five Psalms and a chapter of Proverbs every day. And I've been doing that for nearly 30 years. I can't tell you how many times I've been through the Psalms. I can't tell you how many times I've been through the book of Proverbs. But every single time I go through there, God speaks to me. And I see something different or something new or something jumps out at me that's never jumped out at me before. Because God speaks through his word. His word is living and active. But you need God's spirit to really understand it. But once you have Jesus, you have the spirit. You know, the, the other thing that I love about this story is how the service ends. You know, I know not every church does this, and, I, and I'm not casting judgment on any other church, but something God convicted me of years ago was to, to give a gospel invitation at the end every time we did something, whether it's, you know, a Christmas family Christmas service or it's a worship service or whatever, we give the gospel every single time because there may be someone there that, that's never heard it any given Sunday, or maybe Somebody, people have heard it before, but this is their time. This is their day where it's going to come alive to them, where it's going to pierce their hearts. And so, you know what? There were years that I gave invitations in church, and nobody ever responded to them. Now, you know, or maybe they would just every now and then. And a guy came up to me one time and said, well, you know what? Doesn't that discourage you when nobody comes forward? And I said, well, you know, I, I wish they would. I wish people would, but my job is just to preach the good news. 
and to give the gospel. And so we do that every single service. And you know what? Sometimes I tell y'all, hey, this many people came to know Christ last week or whatever, but I don't most weeks. Because it, it's not, we're not trying to rack up numbers and uh, numbers are important. I mean, there's a, there's a whole book of the Bible named Numbers. So it tells you it's important. And the thing, the reason why it's important is because every number represents a life. But we're not doing it for our own glory or, you know, to say, oh, we've done this or we've done that. It's to give glory to God. And so every now and then I'll give you, hey, here's what happened today so that you can rejoice with us. But we do an invitation every week because that might be somebody's last chance or best chance to come to know Jesus. And we don't want to neglect our responsibility. And in the very first service, you know, it's, it's amazing. You want to know what the power of the Spirit is. They're praising God. People come up and they're, they're, there's an opportunity. And they're going, what, what's going on? What is this wind? Why, how are we hearing this in our own language? Now, one thing I want to tell you is that whenever Peter preached, it was not in a tongue. It was in a known language. And in this instance, he's preaching to the Jews that are there, preaching in Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever would have been the language of the time, but probably Aramaic. And so he, he gets up in, Psalm, in Acts 2, 37 through 41. Peter, Peter comes forward, um, and, and it says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And he begins to preach the gospel. And here's the, here's the thing about that. Here's, here's the Holy Spirit at work. Peter was not the guy that you probably would have stuck out there. I mean, Peter was, he wasn't afraid to, to speak. Sometimes he probably should have been. He wasn't reluctant to say a word. Maybe he should have been. And he was a man of courage, but he, he didn't have any formal training. He didn't have any education. He'd never been taught formally the, 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 the Old Testament. He was a fisherman. As a matter of fact, later on when they brought him in, they were like, who are these cats? They're just fishermen. Because preaching was reserved for those who'd been educated in the Old Testament law. And yet Peter comes up. There are other guys that might have been more qualified. Luke was a man of education, was a doctor, had, you know, ends up, he's a pretty good author. He wrote the, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts that we're reading from. And so maybe you go, hey, Luke, you get up there and talk to him. But you know who steps up? It's Peter. And he begins to preach. And not only that, he begins to spout Old Testament prophecy about the Spirit of God. And then in Acts 2, 37 through 41, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you, must repent of your sins and turn to God. It really is that simple. You know, we talk about it every week, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the answer is to turn away from our sins and repent and ask forgiveness. Then it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, there's some that would say that baptism is required for salvation. There's plenty of evidence that we know that is not true. And the best interpretation of that 
is really not so that you can be forgiven. It's be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness that you've received. So he says, look, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. That includes us. That includes us. That promise was not only for them, but for future generations. And so we're responding to the same promise that Peter gave to those that were there that day. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. That was the first church service. And at the end of it was an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. And so we're going to give you basically the same opportunity that Peter gave at the first service 2,000 plus years ago. And that's this. You know what? We're all sinners. And a sin is anything that goes against the laws of God. And God's laws are given to us as protection. When God says don't, he's saying don't get hurt. You know, we, we live in a culture and a society that's filled with rage and violence and even murder because so many people have been taught, hey, you, don't, you can go do whatever you want. And it'll fulfill you and then you'll be at peace and then it'll all be good. But you know what? Over and over again we're seeing that people are getting to a point where they recognize that all they have been sold is despair. There is no joy. There is no life. There is no fulfillment in following the things that are contrary to the word of God. God's word is given to us as a protection to protect us from destruction and despair. But we violate it. And so we can come to Jesus by asking forgiveness of our sins and turning away from them. That's what repentance means. And turning to God. And to do that, we have to believe, and Peter preached that in this message, we have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day. And then lastly, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no great quest. There's no, hey, you got to go do this. You need to go get this part cleaned up in your life where you can come. It's, that's not it. It's recognizing that you can't do anything to fix those things, but that Jesus did them for you. He died in your place. He rose first so that you could also defeat death and live forever. And if you would like to know today that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you have a right relationship with God, you know, one of the things he says is this, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. Once you're in Christ, it's forever. If you'd like to know that that, that relationship is forever, in heaven and, and beyond, through eternity, then we want to invite you to pray with me just a brief prayer of salvation. And you can repeat it after me. Or maybe you know it well enough that you just want to pray it on your own. 
but it's about a relationship with Christ. And so if you'd like to do that today, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. And if that's you and you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God and you'll be with him forever, you pray this with me today. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me and make me yours. I know Jesus is your son. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And I know that he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody else looking around, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. You don't have to stand up or say anything in front of people. But if you prayed that prayer today, I do want to encourage you and pray for you. And so what I want to do is I want to just ask you just to look up at me. If you prayed that today, just look up at me, okay? And keep looking till I see you, all right? Okay. All right, I see you. Okay. Okay. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I want to encourage you. The moment that you pray that in faith, your sins are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit is living in you now. You've been sealed by the Spirit. You belong to God. You are His son. You are His daughter. And that's forever. And I want to encourage you in that today. And then I'd also encourage you to, to tell someone. We'd love to hear from you. There's a couple ways you can do this. There's a number on the screen. You can just text SAVE to that number. There's a code in your bulletin that you can use with your phone's camera and it'll open up a thing to send to us. Or John will be here at the front in a few minutes to close us in a word of prayer. And you can come talk to him. We'll talk to you today or set up a time to talk to you later on. We'd love to do that. And all we're going to do is we're going to answer any questions. We're going to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We're not going to ask you for anything. We just want to help. And we'd love to be a part of your journey going forward. And it is important that you tell someone. So I want to pray for you right now and encourage you and thank God for what he's done in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. And Father, the, what happened here today in those that have trusted you as their Savior and Lord is the exact same thing that happened to those 3,000 over 2,000 years ago. A life has been changed sins have been forgiven and people are now united with you and with each other because of their faith in Jesus 
Father, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. And Father, we look forward to those who will be saved in the days ahead by the, by the testimony of those who are saved today. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.